Matthew, the word. We've been working through a series that we've called Jesus Is. Uh, and in this series, we've been exploring the person of Jesus, um, who he is, and, and what his coming to this earth means for the lives of you and I. And I really love this series because everything that you and I have and everything that we need hinges on the person of Jesus. You see, he's the central character of the Bible. Both the Old and the New Testament are actually about Jesus, okay? We spend the entire Old Testament pointing towards the coming of Jesus and, and the New Testament explaining what he's doing on this earth. And so uh, it's, it's so, so exciting to be able to explore who he is. Um, last week, Ed talked through uh, this sermon where he explained that Jesus is the reflection of the Father. And so when we go, man, I just wonder what God is like. Um, we actually found that we, we don't need to look further than looking at the person of Jesus because in Jesus, God has revealed everything that he is. Okay, the person of Jesus is the full revelation of God the Father. And so... Um, I thought it was so, so good, was so, so moved. Excited this week to explore Jesus as our Redeemer. The truth that, that you and I, Jesus is our true Redeemer. And to do that, we're gonna look at the oldest of love stories, one of the oldest of love stories in the Bible, a tale of romance, a tale of redemption, uh, and my hope is, is that you and I might gain a better understanding of God's plan for redemption. Love is a funny thing, isn't it? Um, I'm sure if, if I asked for a show of hands, at least a few would go up and say, I think I may or may not have been in love at one point in my life. Uh, maybe you know someone in your life who's been in love, and it can be a funny thing. And I think maybe more pointedly, love can make people do funny things, can't it? I think we all have those friends that um, they, they, they just get into this weird thing. They start liking someone and they just go kind of berserk. <laughs> Am I the only one? You guys are leaving me out to dry here, okay? Love is a funny thing and it makes people do funny things. And uh, in, in prepping for this talk, I, I, I painfully thought back to my early relationship days, okay? And um, in, in doing this, I found out that I, that I actually said and did some rather interesting things. Uh, so in doing this, I decided I would look back through my Facebook archive of messages. If you want to retain any self-esteem or self-worth, do not bother doing this. It's not worth it. It's a really dumb idea. So I, I'm going to risk my reputation, any reputation I might have with you guys here tonight, and share a little bit about what I found. Um, it was quite interesting to remind myself of the trajectory of my love life. Uh, you see, I've, I've always been a person who enjoys organization. I, I like things tidy and neat, and... Um, Sometimes this desire to have things organized uh, is to my detriment, even to the point where it affects my ability to socialize. Um, and, and unfortunately, I saw that come out in a few of the conversations I had. So I pulled up a few. I'm going to share them with you tonight. Be kind to me. <laughs> Here's the first one. It says this. Hi, Ryan. These are for real, okay? Hi, Ryan. A few of us are going to the beach today. These are from girls also, might I add. Um, a few of us are going to the beach today. Would you like to join us? I'd really like it if you came. Oh, that's so nice. That's so sweet. Um, here, here's what I said. 
it's just painful to even read to you. <laughs> Thanks for the invite, but I'm cleaning my closet. You can join if you would like to. You don't say that. Like, even if you are cleaning your closet, you do not invite them to join you. Oh, I thought, okay, this must be an anomaly. This cannot be the, 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 the summary. Of, <laughs> this can't be real. Okay, so I looked. I found another one. It said this. Hi, Ryan. You mentioned that you really enjoy hikes. Want to join me up Knox tonight? <laughs> Tonight doesn't work for me. I'm actually busy working on my personal budget. <laughs> oh. My relational world was in serious need of some redemption. Uh, today, I'm happily married to my wife, Sarah. Uh, she's amazing. Um, God, if, if, if nothing else, that is a testament that God has an amazing ability to redeem hopeless situations. <sighs> Praise the Lord. So unfortunately for Sarah, his grace on my life to um, put aside those organizational urges uh, seems to, that, that's just lifted. I don't know what happened. And, and now, even on the weekly, um, mowing the lawn seems to creep its way into date night. I don't know what's going on, um, but I have a bit of work to do yet. We're going to look today at the love story of Ruth and Boaz. It's an Old Testament story sandwiched between Judges and 1 Samuel. It's a story packed with tragedy um, a story packed with triumph. It has a knight in shining armor, uh, and it even has a mother-in-law, which that's, that's a, uh, an essential component of any good love story. And she's a pretty bitter one at that. So here we are. We're set with all the perfect ingredients to make a wicked love story. Um, I might add that the notebook, nothing on Ruth, okay? Those of you that love it, you're going to love this. Even better, I promise. Not the delivery, but the story, okay? Just to make that clear. All right, so the story of Ruth. It's a reminder for each of us that our lives, no matter how ordinary they may seem, and no matter how difficult they might sometimes be, that they are part of a plan, a part of God's plan to do something that is much larger than ourselves and much more thrilling than we could ever imagine. The story of Ruth and Boaz helps us gain a greater understanding of God's love for us and Jesus' plan for our redemption. It's a foreshadowing of Christ's redemptive plan for all of humanity, and, and you and I are included in that. And so I want to set this up a little bit in case you're not familiar with the story of Ruth. Um, I'm going to just, just give you a bit of a background. It's important and helpful for you to know where we're going and... Um, so it started like this, okay? The story of Ruth is a story that starts out with great tragedy. Uh, there's a lot of hopelessness. There's a lot of hurt. Uh, and it starts with a man named Elimelech. Okay, that's a hard one. Elimelech. Do you guys remember Mephibosheth from last week? Ed really sucked at that one. So I'm going to try and nail Elimelech. Uh, Elimelech moved his family from Bethlehem, okay, to uh, a place called Moab. In, and this was during a time of famine, Okay, so he moves to Moab and promptly after moving decides to pass away. He leaves behind him. He probably didn't make the decision, by the way. It just happened. He, he leaves behind him his wife, Naomi, and two sons who had married Moabite women. 
Now, unfortunately, before they were able to have kids and leave a, a, a family line for themselves, they also passed away. And so uh, his sons um, are gone. He's, they are left then with uh, these two Moabite daughter-in-laws. We have Orpha and we have Ruth. Both of the sons are gone, and they're stuck with Naomi. And so I want to give you some brief history just about the Moabites. I think it's important for you to understand what this means in the context of our story. Uh, the line of the Moabites started with a dude named Lot. Okay, Lot's a bit of an infamous character in the Bible. And the line of Moab started when he had interfamily relations with his daughters and bore children. And so when we look at this, we go, this is not a promising start to a line of people, is it? They didn't have a great reputation. And so we have Naomi, who's now without a husband, uh, and she's stuck with these two Moabite daughter-in-laws, and she decides to make the move back to Bethlehem, back to her native country. Uh, and the one daughter-in-law, Orpha, she says, you know what, I'm out. I'm not about this. I don't need to be here. I'm going to take off. Makes sense. Ruth, on the other hand, though, Ruth, Ruth, we love Ruth. Ruth says, I'm on board. She's decisively on board. And she, not only does she say, I'm going to follow you until you die, but I'm going to follow your God. Uh, and so Ruth and Naomi make off to Bethlehem and they arrive at the beginning of barley harvest. So we need to understand that Naomi and Ruth, they found themselves in the middle of great tragedy, that they've lost everything. They have no way to provide for themselves. They're hopeless. And yet, we're going to see how God provides and redeems out of their circumstance. And, and my hope is tonight that you might see in your life how even in the darkest and most confusing of times, that God is still at work that he's still for you, and that he still has control. You know, there might be times in your life, or maybe you're in a time in your life right now, where God seems farthest from you. But might I suggest that maybe instead he's setting the stage for a time when he might want to draw closest to you, that in your hardship, God might actually be plotting for your joy and satisfaction. This is the love story of Ruth. So we have Ruth. Ruth is our princess. She's our main character. She's going to rock. We got Naomi. She's the bitter mother-in-law, okay? In, in chapter one, we actually see that she, she says to uh, her people back in Bethlehem, says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. That's pretty sad. And then we have Boaz, okay? Boaz is our knight in shining armor for today. He is our Ryan Gosling. So our story begins. It's in chapter two. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Ruth chapter two with me. Um, I'm not gonna put it on the screen. We're kind of thumbing our way through. It was just, it was gonna be more confusing than helpful. And so um, my hope is that we can make this exciting for you. We're gonna walk through the story of Ruth together. You guys still with me? Yes, sir. At least five of you. Now there was a wealthy, influential man. This is verse one in Bethlehem. His name was Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Okay, so Boaz is on the scene. What do we know about him? He's a wealthy man. He's an influential man. Uh, he's a man of intelligence. But most importantly, we know that he is a part of Naomi's extended family. And that's going to be important for our story. 
Verse two reads like this. One day, Ruth, the Moabite, notice how it emphasizes her, her lineage. Um, we see this is important all the way through the story. Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Naomi's the mother-in-law, are we clear? We got the roles figured out? I wanna make this easy. She said, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. So in that time, the Lord had set up this law that, um, that the, the owners of the field would instruct their workers to leave behind grain as they were sheathing. And, and this was so that people who were unable to provide for themselves, who had no way um, that, that they would survive, that there was a way of them making it by. And, and this today is, this is Ruth and Naomi's bread and butter. This is how they are merely surviving. And it's not pretty, but it was God's answer and provision in this time. So in verse three, we see that Ruth gleaned the fields and it ended up, sorry, and it ended up that she was in the fields that belonged to Boaz. Okay, my, I love this because my, my, the ESV here, my Bible says that she just happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. Isn't that just so nice? She just happened to. It was just like by chance that something romantic, so romantic would happen that she would end up in the field of the knight in shining armor, Boaz. Of course, you and I know that, that things don't just happen and that we actually have a God who's working behind the scenes, who's in control of all things, and he's always constantly working for our good and for his glory. So we're in verse four. Ruth is in Boaz's field and Boaz once again just happens to be walking by. And lo and behold, he sees Ruth. Thank you, Ruth. This is like, okay, I feel like you guys are fading. I mean, you need to make this interesting. This is that part in the story, okay, where you are, dudes, okay, you're watching a movie. It's a sappy love story. You're watching it with your girlfriend, your wife, the girl that you wish was your girlfriend, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, but you're sitting on the couch. You have your arm around her. And all of these pieces in the story, they're just falling together. They're just too perfect, right? Everything's happening. And you are going, this cannot be real. You need to be kidding me. And just as you're about to go and turn and say some stupid sarcastic comment, you look over and your wife, girlfriend, whomever is bawling their eyes out. <laughs> you cannot be buying this. This is total crap. Okay, that's where we're at in the story. Ruth and Boaz, this is too good to be true. It can't be happening. Okay, and we see Ruth 2, the sovereign hand of God, is working to bring this dude, Boaz, this woman, Ruth, together, and it's going to be good. Verse 5, Boaz asks his servant, whose young woman is this? We see that he doesn't simply ask, who is this young woman? But we know that he's interested because he said, whose young woman is this? Does she belong to anyone? Is she taken? I, I was thinking that probably, I didn't look into the Greek, but I just had a hunch that if I did, it would be something like, dang, you see that girl? Man, she looks good. <laughs> uh, don't, don't, don't take me to the bank on that one. I don't know, <laughs> but I, I can only imagine. So uh, here's what happens. The servant answers. He says, she is the woman from Moab who has no one to care for her, who has no help and who has no provision. Uh, and so at this point, we see in the story the peace is being put into place for Boaz to be the kinsman redeemer 
for Ruth and Naomi. And so none of you know what the heck that means. And I'm going to explain a little bit more in just a minute. But for right now, this is what I want you to know. We see Boaz, and Boaz, like Jesus, in this moment, is seeking out the marginalized. He is seeking out and pursuing the needy and weak, those who can't provide for themselves. And that is just so like our God. In verse 8, Boaz says to Ruth, he says, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you go gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. I can just imagine this is probably his Old Testament pickup line. He's going, you know, you, you don't need to go anywhere else. Right here is good. I got a good field, good people. We want you to be here. I'd love for you to stay close. And, you know, not, it's not super impressive, but I can only uh, admit that it's maybe just a, a rung above want to help me clean my closet. So <laughs> got to give the guy some credit. Verse 9, he says, I've instructed my workers not to harm you. They won't touch you. And additionally, I've let them know that you will be drinking from the same well they are when you are thirsty. And so what we see here is that Boaz is really gunning for Ruth. Okay, he's favored her. And more than that, he recognizes that that working in his fields, even any field, but his field is dangerous. Uh, And I don't think we really understand that in today's day and age. We don't understand the danger that came along with a single woman working in a field of men. See, this wasn't the, the Starbucks, HomeSense, cushy retail, like sell things from home on the internet type of job, okay? We got Ruth, she's up there at the rigs with the boys working hard, okay? And it's dangerous. And Boaz gets that. Uh, and so Boaz is concerned for her safety. And Ruth is floored because she knows that she doesn't deserve his favor She knows that she's at the bottom of the social rung and for some reason, Boaz has cared for her. And you and I, we we can't, we just can't understand how uncharacteristic this is of the time because we watch too many stupid, sappy love movies where it always just works out and that's the way it is. But understanding this time, there is an unfathomable, unconventional love happening here from Boaz to Ruth. And so it's verse 14, if any of you are following along still, and it's mealtime. Okay, you know what mealtime means? It means date time. First date, date number one, go Boaz. Nice one. Skips the coffee straight for the meal. So it says this, he seats her and he serves her. He seats her and he serves her. And get this, he passes her the roasted grains. I like that. Not just the grains, the roasted grains. I can just imagine this is like, in my world, they must be going to the keg or to Crafty or one of those favorite amazing places. Uh, It's the first date. It's going well. There's lots of food. And Ruth knows that there's not lots of food at home. So she's putting some away for her purse for later for Naomi. She knows it's going to be tough. Boaz catches her. He's about it. It's okay. First date. It's going awesome. I remember uh, Sarah and I, one of our first dates together or times together, and um, this was at a particular time in my life when I had a thing against uh, green smoothies. I just, I could not for the life of me figure out why the heck someone would want to drink something that looked like bird poop. So, um, 
Sarah, on the other hand, thought you need to be healthy and these are good and it's awesome. And so I'm going to make you the best, most nutritious, amazing green smoothie that you have ever had in your life. And I said, challenge accepted. I love it. Um, and it, it, it actually went okay for her. So I uh, had, was drinking this green smoothie, got about halfway through and was pleasantly surprised at how good it tasted. But I could not figure out why the heck my throat was itching so freaking bad. And so I, I'm trying to work my way through this. I'm going, ah, <clears throat> and it was in that moment that it dawned on me that the conversation that we had had earlier on about me being allergic to almonds didn't quite cross her mind while she was pouring almond milk into my super healthy smoothie. So needless to say, our first time together, not quite on the same level as Ruth and Boaz. He knows how to do it right. Sorry, Sarah. Threw you under the bus on that one. What happens after is Ruth heads home to Naomi and Naomi's overwhelmed because she sees how much Ruth brings home and says, whose field have you been gleaning in? And Ruth says to Naomi with, I think what would be a smirk on her face, she says, in the field of the, the, the man whose name is Boaz. And in this moment, we see Naomi's posture change. We see her light up because remember, she's bitter. But in this moment, she realizes, she realizes that there's hope. And she says to, to Ruth, Boaz is actually one of our close relatives, that, she, that he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. And in this moment, Naomi, our bitter Naomi, has gone from bitter to feeling blessed. So could it be in your life right now that your struggle, God is actually planning and plotting for your redemption? I don't know what that struggle is. I don't know what it looks like. I'm sure it looks different than my life. But could it be that he's planning to lavish on you his blessing? I want to talk about this kinsman redeemer thing because you all are perfectly confused now. And I want you to know why it's important. And in this time, God had set up a law, okay? And this law was in place so that when the provider for a family died was uh, not able to longer provide, uh, he set it up so that a close relative of that family could purchase into that family um, and, and get all of the assets and provide for them so that there might be a continuation of the family line. And, and this was a big deal in that time. I know now we change our last names and no one cares, but at that time it was everything. Uh, and so the kinsman redeemer was someone who could redeem Ruth and Naomi's life. Okay, he could purchase everything that belonged to the family of Elimelech and then he could marry Ruth and provide a way for the family line to go on. And so Naomi's real jacked up because she knows that Ruth just gone on a spicy hot date with kinsman redeemer, Boaz. Okay, there's three marks of a kinsman redeemer. The first is this, they must have the right. They must have the right to redeem. That means they're part of the family. We know Boaz is part of the family. Number two, they must have the resources. They must have the ability to pay that price. And we know that Boaz is a wealthy man. Number three, they must have the resolve. They need to have the desire to see that happen. And so uh, it's looking good. We got all three of these components. And in Ruth chapter three, we see that Naomi, mother-in-law, bitter, gone blessed, uh, is getting into the planning mood. And uh, she sets up a bit of a shady night on the sheathing floor. We send Ruth in, uncovers Boaz's feet while he's sleeping, and it ends there. It doesn't get any more promiscuous, in case you were wondering. 
Things are going well. Okay, chapter three, Shady Night on the Sheathing Floor. Ruth chapter four, here's what happens. We find out that there's actually someone in the line of Boaz, or Elimelech, rather, um, who has the right to redeem. And so, uh, as he would, Boaz heads down to town and approaches, just so happens to find this guy, approaches him and says, hey, just so you know, I've been having my eye on this beautiful young lady, Ruth. Um, her family's in need of some redemption. You're first in line, just wondering if you were into it. Um, and Buddy has a hard life. He's been working hard, has lots of money, but doesn't have a relationship. He says, yeah, I'm in, of course. Why wouldn't I? Good looking girl, I'm all about it. Uh, and and, and uh, Boaz says, but there's one detail I forgot to mention to you. She's a Moabite. And in this moment, we see the weight of the Moabite reputation. We see that, that this very fact has spoiled legacies for years past and will for years to come. And all of a sudden, Buddy says, you know what, actually, I'm not interested anymore. Uh, he wasn't willing to risk his family name, his reputation, everything he had just to redeem Ruth the Moabite. What's awesome is that we now see just after that, Boaz says, that's okay. I'm still about it. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, and so Boaz steps up to the plate. Man, I should have put more hair product in this morning. This is driving me nuts. Okay, I just had to get that out there. <laughs> Boaz steps up to the plate. Uh, we're at chapter four. This is the climax of the story. And we see that Ruth actually gets married to Boaz. They have a beautiful wedding and they have a baby boy soon after. They got busy. It's good. <laughs> this boy, okay, the inheritance and the fortune that Ruth and Naomi inherited through Boaz changed their life. So they were broken and they had just become blessed because the kinsman redeemer had redeemed them. I love this verse in Ruth 4.14. I'm going to read here. It, it really shows what's going on. It says, Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. That's, that's like ancient language for really, really good. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Guys, this is incredible because if you remember back the book of Ruth, it opens with three funerals, but now we're here and it closes with a wedding and a baby. See, death has given way to life. We see that God brings his people from curse to blessing, that he brings bitterness to happiness, that he brings hopelessness to hopefulness. And we see that Ruth and Naomi have arrived empty and yet we end this book and they are full. And so this story about Ruth and Boaz, it's not just a story about a dude with a sweet pickup line in a field, okay? This is a story about God's redemptive plan for humanity. This is a story about the making of the family line, the lineage of Jesus 
You see, the story of Ruth ultimately points us, you and I, to the redeemer of our souls, the person of Jesus, because Jesus alone is our redeemer. You see, your brokenness, my brokenness, my crap and your crap, Jesus went to the cross for all of it. He's not surprised by it. He's not taken off guard. In fact, he said, you know what? I am about that. I'm gonna sign up for that. I'm gonna take it all. Jesus has redeemed it all on the cross. And check this out. This is so cool. The, the story of Ruth doesn't end at the end of Ruth. The next spot we see Ruth and Boaz in the Bible is in Matthew 1, 5. And, and it says this. It says, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And it says, whose father was Jesse. And Jesse's father was the father of David. Okay, we're gonna scroll down 10 verses. I don't wanna read you lineage for the next five minutes. Then it says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And that is so cool because we see that the story of Ruth is ultimately pointing us to the person of Christ because he alone is our redeemer. He alone has the power to save us and he alone has forgiven you for your sin. See, God, in all of that struggle, in all of that just tragedy at the beginning of Ruth was ultimately plotting for his redemption of all of humanity through the person of Jesus. Can we see this? And you might be thinking today, why in the world would God use a Moabite? Someone so dirty and, and with such a brutal family line. Why in the world would he use a Moabite to bring Jesus into this world? And I think the answer is so simple. I think it is the same reason that you and I get to be a part of the family of Jesus because we were once far away from Jesus and he said, I'm about you, you are part of my family. I love Ephesians 2.13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Friends, this is the, the best news that I have to share with you. In John 1.2, it says, but to all who did receive him, all who believed in his name, he became, he gave the right to become children of God. And I don't think we really understand how incredible this is. And so I wanna bring around the application for you today. I'm gonna invite the band up. I'm landing this thing for those of you who are falling asleep. You can wake up now. Here's the application for you. For those of you who would be here today and would say, I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I would identify as being a Christian or a Christ follower, whatever you wanna call it. Um, you and I, we have the greatest reason to rejoice the greatest reason to rejoice that God has taken us who was once far away and made us near to him through the blood of Christ. You and your mistakes were separating you from God and he said, I'm about it. I'm not gonna let any of that stop me. And even today, even today, he is taking the stupid mistakes that you and I are making because I'm making them so I know that you're making them. He's taking those mistakes and he is turning them around and using them for your good and his glory. And this, friends, is worth talking about. I, I spent some time in Starbucks this week trying to figure out what the heck I was gonna say to you. And um, I, it was incredible, some of the conversations that I had. Uh, it's just the weirdest thing. When you sit there with your laptop, your Bible open and headphones and trying to be totally antisocial, how many people come up to you and say, hey, is that a Bible that you're reading? I was just wondering. I'm going, I'm trying to prepare this sermon, man, come on. 
And, and it was incredible because over the course of, I spent almost, well, 10 o'clock till three o'clock there. I, I spent about an hour and a half to two hours talking with three different people who approached me to talk about my Bible and the person of Jesus. And I, I, didn't, I didn't have to go find them. I didn't even have to look for it. They came to me and said, I, I want to know a bit more. Why do you believe this? And I had some of the most incredible conversations with people who said, I want to know more about who Jesus is. You see, we don't have to be weird. We don't have to be unnormal. We're just humans. But we have such an amazing truth to tell people about, and it's so easy to share. And so I think the take-home today for you is we have a Redeemer. He has redeemed you. You need to tell someone. Second is this. There's some of you here today whom I'm sure don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, who haven't started a relationship with him, who haven't said, hey, I'm, I want to know more about this. I want to just see what it means, try and figure it out. Um, Jesus has come to you. He's coming after you. The fact that you're here today is, is evidence that he is after you. And I don't know why you're at where you're at. Maybe you've been at a place tonight for you. I can't imagine how there would be a God who would forgive me for all the crap that I've done. Or maybe you're at a place where you go, I can't understand or reconcile how there's a God who would allow all of these things in this world that we live in. And I, I don't know where you're at, but might I submit to you that like the story of Naomi and Ruth, that God is taking these things that are terrible and redeeming them to make much of himself, to, for our joy and for his glory, that he is in the business of taking broken to beautiful, that he's in the business of taking things from empty to full, from hopeless to hopeful, and that he wants to be a part of your redemption story. And so I'm not saying that if, if you tonight go, yeah, I'm going to give that thing, that Jesus thing a try, that your life is instantly going to get easy and better because it won't. In fact, when we look at the New Testament, we see that most of the apostles died by getting stoned or because of what they believed. So it might get harder. But I can promise you this, that if you decide to give your life to Jesus, you decide to at least just try and explore what it might be about, that he will give you purpose and he will give you everything you need to make it through all of the crap that we go through in this world. And so tonight, I want to give you guys an opportunity to do that, to be a part of that, because it's the most important thing I can do. And so as a part of that tonight, we're going to take communion. And so I'm going to have those who are helping with communion tonight join me up front. Um, Communion is something that we celebrate together as a body of believers. It's a way that we remember and we marvel in the fact that Jesus, not because he had to, but because he wanted to, went to the cross and redeemed our lives through his death. And so we remember Jesus today this way because it was the way that he told his disciples to remember him. And so if if this is your first time here or you're newer with us, this might sound all a little bit crazy and extreme and um, we want to make it easy and make sense. It's not weird. And so this is what it's going to look like tonight. Um, we're going to pass around two plates or a bowl and a plate. The first that's going to go around, and we're not going to pass them yet because I don't want to do it too early. Okay. The first is this. <laughs> it's going to have bread in it. And the bread is the body of Christ. Okay. It's the body that was broken for you and I on the cross for our sin. The second will be a cup. It's just going to have juice in it. It's a little bit light tonight. The cranberry juice was a bit of a weird color. It's not wine. But we're going to pass it around. And this is the blood 
that was shed on the cross for your and I shortcomings. And so um, we're gonna pass the plates around in a couple of minutes and we're gonna ask that you hang on to both of those, the bread and the, the well, it's a cracker and the cup uh, until we've done worshiping together and then we're gonna partake together once the worship tune is done. And so you don't have to come to the house regularly to be a part of communion with us. Um, you don't have to have uh, like done any secret handshake that we do here, but we want you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ because we know that you eating a terrible tasting gluten-free cracker is not going to save you, okay? But if you're here tonight and you're going, you know, I want to take that step. I want to at least explore. Just give it a try. Try and figure out what this Jesus thing is all about. Uh, I'm going to pray here, and I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to encourage you. And there is nothing, there is nothing that you can do that will be more significant in your life. And there is nothing that you have done that has made Jesus love you less. And there's, sorry, there's nothing that you can do to make him love you more. And there's nothing that you can do to make him love you less. And so I'm going to pray right now. Um, why don't you bow your heads with me? Lord, we are so thankful that you are in the business of redemption. God, we know that we are a people that are in need of your help, of your love, of your grace. And we're so thankful that you are a God who has been so gracious as to lavish it upon us. So tonight, God, I know there's some friends here who don't know you. So Jesus, we're gonna pray together. We wanna take that step. And so if that's you, why don't you just pray with me? Lord God, I don't know exactly where I'm at in my life. I know that I have made mistakes though I know that I've done things that I can't forgive on my own that I can't pay for for myself and so I want to open my heart to you tonight Jesus I want to say sorry for those things the mistakes I've made and I want to recognize that I need your forgiveness tonight that I can't go on without your forgiveness tonight Lord I need your help and I'm thankful that you're a God who's so gracious to give it. And we pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen.